Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and this episode is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-focused group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives. They focus on the growth of hockey in Hong Kong and southern China, as well as the development of student-athletes, where sporting goals are achieved alongside educational pursuits. The CHG is comprised of a number of hockey programs. Established in 2011, the CIHL is Hong Kong's elite adult hockey league. The Junior Tigers program is Hong Kong's premier youth hockey organization, featuring the Scotia Bank Island League and Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs. The SCIHL is an adult league for those seeking a more recreational experience. In addition, the CHG showroom is the exclusive reseller of Bauer Warrior hockey equipment and offers services including skate sharpening and fittings. For more information and links to their social media sites, go visit ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. My guest today is one of my hometown hockey heroes. From Sydney, Nova Scotia, he was drafted 109th overall by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Throughout his career, he played over 280 games for Team Canada, won two Olympic silver medals, captaining the 94 squad, captained the Cape Breton Oilers and was named team MVP twice. He scored over 30 goals three straight seasons in the AHL, played professionally in Italy and Switzerland before returning to North America to finish his career with the Milwaukee Admirals in the IHL. He's also coached the Halifax Mooseheads, Dalhousie Tigers, Moncton Wildcats, and Woodstock Slammers. Please welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, one of my childhood idols, Mr. Fabian Joseph. How are you, Fabian? Great, Chris. Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, you too, my friend. It's a, it's a familiar sound. Um, you, know, you grew up in Sydney in a very prominent uh, hockey family, and I should say just a very prominent family. Uh, the Josephs, very well known um, around our neck of the woods. Tell me a little bit about growing up in your family and uh, how you fell in love with the game of hockey. Well, I, I can't uh, I can't remember not loving the game. I, uh, I I was the youngest of fourteen kids and uh, had eight older brothers and uh, five sisters, and uh, my brothers all played, and and I was uh, I was always uh, at the rink or uh, chumming along with them as well. So it was. Uh, I think it was ingrained to me at a young age. Yeah, one of those love at first sights. Obviously, a huge, a huge hockey family. You guys have been involved in uh, in minor hockey and all throughout all the ranks in the Maritimes. Um, when you were playing minor hockey growing up, um, tell me a little bit about that playing uh, playing in Sydney. Well, yeah, I was. Uh, I started playing at uh, Whitney uh, Whitney Pear Minor Hockey Association, but uh, before that, uh, back then there was uh, school hockey. So uh, yeah. you played uh, your elementary school team. So I was fortunate enough to make that team in grade two, and then uh, uh, from there we had parish hockey as well. So a lot of skill development stuff then, and uh, we had a outdoor rink beside our home. There was an open field there, so we played hockey there in the winter and ball there in the summer. So. Um, 
we didn't have to go far to get a game going with seven seven older brothers <laughs> yeah. and uh, lots of lots of people in the neighborhood that loved the game too. So yeah, um, I was fortunate to grow up in a in a hockey oriented family and uh, but also a hockey oriented uh, community because uh, I think. Uh, Three or four of my cousins lived uh, within an eight-block radius that went on to play pro hockey as well. Yeah, totally. And you guys, like your parents, just absolute saints. Uh, huge family, a lot of time spent in a hockey rink, um, doing all the, the hard work to get you guys prepared and, and keep, you, keep you fed and clothed and, and put hockey skates on your feet. Uh, tell, us a little, tell me a little bit about your folks and, uh, and uh, their, uh, how they influenced you growing up. Well, as you know, it's uh, you know we had a big family, so uh, uh, my parents uh, had to be very strict with us, and uh, we we made sure that uh, uh, the girls uh, did a lot of, did a lot of the chores of the host, but the the guys did a lot of the hard labor labor, I guess, uh, right. the heavy lifting. But um, my mom and dad were hardworking people. My dad uh, worked uh, as a blacksmith in the steel plant for 35 years, and uh, he had some uh, worked at the bowling alleys and uh, uh, delivered groceries. Uh, bartended, to, had a lot of odd jobs as well to to uh, provide for a big family. But my mom was uh, the rock at home. She was there all the time, obviously, and uh, made sure we were fed well and uh, clean clothes and all that uh, all that stuff. But uh, to be quite honest, uh, they they didn't uh, get to many of my games when I was really young. But as I got older, uh, they they never missed too many. I'm sure with 14 kids running around, it was tough to get away. Um, so you're playing school hockey. You know you're growing up playing uh, the parish teams, like you said. In 1981, you you joined the the Midget AAA, uh, the Colonels at the time, um, and you absolutely tore that league up. 97 points in 21 games doesn't even see I thought that stat was right I'm wrong I thought there was a mistake online <laughs> 97 points in 21 games pretty crazy uh, was that the what catapulted your career and really started putting you on the on the hockey map yeah well I, I used to go to hockey school in Sussex New Brunswick when I when I was uh, 14 15 that age range and I, I could have went to uh Billings, Montana at 15 uh, with John Hanna and yep. uh, another cut from back home. And uh, I decided to stay home and play another year of midget. Uh, Paul J. Randy was my coach, and I really liked him the year before my first year of midget. And uh, we had a real good team. Obviously, I, I was fortunate enough to play with some real good players. Jack McKeegan and I played together from Adam all the way up to we ended up going to Victoria together. So we had a real good uh, connection on the ice. And um, I'm sure uh, Jack was in on a lot of those points as well, but that record still stands in the in the Maritime uh, Midget League, so uh, it's kind of a nice uh, nice record to have. Yeah, I think that one's going to stand for a while, Fabe. Actually, yeah, that's funny. My dad just told me the story about you and Jackie leaving Cape Breton together um, to play junior in Vancouver. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's get to that. Uh, being from Cape Breton, um, you just mentioned John Hanna, who I want to thank for, uh, for hooking me up with you to, uh, to chat today. Uh, obviously John, another one of my hockey, uh, mentors, um, you being from Cape Breton, what made you decide to head all the way west to, Vi to Victoria to play with the Cougars? Yeah, we, uh, we won the Nova Scotia, Maritime Midget League that year, and, and the Air Canada Cup, which is now the TELUS, the national yeah. tournament, uh, was held in Victoria, British Columbia. 
Uh, so that's where I got uh, recruited uh, to play in Victoria by Dave Andrews, who's now uh, right. or was the uh, yep. president of the American Hockey League. Um, uh, so we, Jack and I really liked it out in Victoria when we were there at the Air Canada Cup. And back then, maritime kids could get drafted anywhere. So I had, I had lots of opportunity. Um, I was drafted by the Quebec Ramparts in the Quebec League and yep. the uh, Toronto Marlboros in the Ontario League and had lots of universities in the States, uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, uh, quite a few universities in the States for opportunities as well. But uh, uh, I really decided, really liked Victoria uh, out there. And Dave, Dave Andrews came down to Sydney that summer and visited with us and our families and uh, just had a real good uh, feeling for Victoria and uh, have no regrets for going out there. No, of course not. Did you have thoughts of playing university hockey? Was that even a, you know, because a lot of guys from our neck of the woods, we don't really think about going to going to the U.S. to play NCAA hockey. Was that even a thought for you? I, to, to be honest, it wasn't really a thought until yeah. uh, my last year of midget uh, when I started getting uh, recruited by some of those those schools. But I had a December birthday, so I was only, when I finished midget, I was only in grade 10. Okay. So, um I wouldn't. I would have had to go play tier two summers for two years before I could go to university in the state. So I decided that I was ready for that level of hockey. So major junior was basically my only option. Right. So you and Jackie headed out to Victoria together. Uh, did you guys play together for a couple of seasons? Yes, we did off and on. Uh, uh, we played together, but uh, Richard Burton was also on that midget team, and he came out. Uh, he came out to uh, Victoria as well, but uh, he ended up going back home. But Jack and I played together in Victoria for two years, and then we ended up going to Toronto with the Marlies for uh, for a year. After that, Jack stayed for his overage year, but I was only there for for the one year in Toronto. Right. Yeah. So your your second year in Victoria, you had a really good year: fifty two goals, one hundred twenty seven points. And uh, what was that move to Toronto? Was that uh, an, an excuse to try and get closer to home, or was that an opportunity to try and uh, win a title? Or what made you move back to Toronto? Well, I was I was drafted by the Leafs after yep. my second year of Victoria, and uh, obviously I thought it'd be a, a good decision to go play uh, junior in the same rink the the Leafs were playing in Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, so that's that was basically my decision uh, to go go to Toronto. Like I said back then, Maritimers could go anywhere, so mm-hmm. um, I was able to uh, go to the OHL from the from the WHL. And you had a you had a really good year in Toronto. And the following year, you know, a very big decision comes uh, for you to make in your career to join uh, Team Canada internationally. How did you come to that decision, and what was that like for you at the time? Um, you know, you're you're playing in Maple Leaf Gardens, and you're trying to decide whether you're going to follow that route or join Team Canada. How did you come to that decision? Well, that was a tough decision. Uh, to be honest, my my last year in junior was a, probably the worst year of my life in terms of injuries. I had some some key injuries. I shattered my nose in uh, in uh, junior camp and needed surgery and uh, sprained my ankle a week before the World Juniors. I was invited to the World Junior camp and uh, uh, jammed my AC joint in my shoulder a week before playoffs. So it wasn't so much the injuries, but the timing the timing right. of the injuries that really really hurt me that year. And uh, but I had a pretty respectable year um, in hindsight. But uh, I just felt I wasn't ready for the pro game at the time. And and the national team was starting up in uh, in Calgary on an ongoing basis. And uh, I had the opportunity to go with the national team. And uh, again, I have no regrets with that decision either because uh, the Leafs offered me a, 
American League contract, but uh, I just felt I wasn't ready for the pro game at that time. Yeah, saying you weren't ready, was that kind of a mental thing or was it a physical thing for you? You know what? Uh, looking back, it was probably uh, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just felt that for my game, uh, the international game, uh, the speed and the, the opportunity to go play uh, internationally for your country and uh, the, goal to, the goal to play in the Olympics um, – was really enticing to me and, and I uh, obviously made that decision to go there instead of going to the uh, St. Catharines in the American League. Yeah and um, so at that time obviously there was no pro players playing in the uh, on the international team. Uh, were you hoping to play in the 88 Olympics? Yeah, you know what? That was that was my goal. That was a big yeah. reason why I went there. But, okay. Um, the '88 Olympics uh, were in Calgary, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, in September, in September of that year, they uh, they brought in some NHL players, uh, uh, Steve Tambellini, I think, and Jim Pablinski, and guys like that to to uh, play play for the Olympic team. And uh, uh, I was one of the guys that got uh, that got cut, and that's when I signed with uh, Edmonton, played in the American League. Okay, yeah, I was trying to figure out how that happened. I figured you were trying to gear up for the 88 Olympics. And then, uh, so you're playing for Team Canada at the time um, internationally. And a lot of people don't even remember this, but you guys played like a full slate, a full season. Can you tell me a little bit about how that worked? How did an international team play 60 or 70 games in a season? Well, we were based out of Calgary, but I think we only played like six games in Calgary. We, We were on the road a lot. We... Wherever there was ice, we pretty much played. We played in 15 different countries yeah. um, over 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 two years. And uh, we, you know, before the wall went down in Germany, we played in East Germany. We played in Poland, Austria, all over uh, Scandinavia. And uh, so, like I said, wherever there was ice, we played. So we we'd train uh, in Calgary for probably 10 days, and then we take off and play. Uh, we play the Russians all over Canada and uh, play like five games in nine nights or seven nights and. Uh, go to Europe and play in tournaments and so it was a pretty extensive schedule as you were referring to but uh, it was it was an experience and and an education itself because we really got to see the world what an incredible experience yeah I can't even imagine uh, and uh, you mentioned playing uh, the international style game you must have really enjoyed the big ice surface yeah, I mean, uh, at at five foot six, five foot seven, uh, my game was speed and skill. So, yeah, um, I really, enjoyed, I really enjoyed the, uh, I really enjoyed the international license and, and the international game uh, for those reasons. But um, when it comes down to it, uh, it all comes down to one on one battles and uh, confined area. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, even though you're playing on the big ice, so uh, once you get used to it, it's it's pretty much a pretty similar game. Right. And how did they take care of you as a player? Were you guys able to make a living? Talk about like, you know, salaries and your travel and all that. Yeah, I don't think anybody got rich playing for the national team, but <laughs> no. we uh, they they paid for everything. Basically, uh, you know, they paid they gave you per diems and uh, on the road. We were on the road so much that we uh, uh, we got per diems on the road and, and they took care of all, obviously all the meals and accommodations and everything. So yeah. Uh, I think you guys did pretty well that way. And so in 1987, you joined the Oilers organization. After traveling all over the world playing hockey, were you excited to play in your home province and eventually back in your hometown of Sydney? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was one of those situations where uh, um, 
the American League was was uh, Edmonton's farm team was in Nova Scotia at the time. Halifax, my first year, and then we moved to yeah. Cape Breton, my second two years. So uh, it was it was a really good opportunity for me to continue to play a high level of hockey, obviously, and, and an opportunity to possibly get called up to the National Hockey League. Yeah. And uh, how special was it to be named captain of the Cape Breton Oilers? And tell me a little bit about playing in front of your friends and family uh, at Center 200 on a nicely on a nightly basis. You know what? It was uh, it was awesome. Uh, you know, uh, not only your family but your friends and uh, people you grew up with, your school teachers, uh, people that you respected in the community. It was. It was great, and uh, it was a lot of pressure as well, because uh, you knew you knew you were in the fishbowl uh, playing in your hometown. But um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, it's uh, had a lot of support there, and had three uh, three good years in the American League as well. But um, sometimes I felt it kind of held me back too, because I was uh, a bit of a drawing card there as well. So yeah. possibly held me back from getting uh, getting an opportunity at the at the NHL level. Well, you certainly did have three good seasons. You had over 30 goals uh, all three years with the Oilers, and your third year you had 86 points. Okay, so I'm wondering now you, you, you have three solid seasons in the AHL, and all of a sudden you're heading to Italy, of all places. How did that happen? Well, I was getting a little frustrated with the North American uh, game, to be honest, yeah. and uh, Edmonton wasn't giving me an opportunity, and uh, they wanted an NHL player in a trade, so it was uh, it was tough because I was playing in the American Hockey League, and uh, uh, teams weren't going to give up an NHL player for me uh, uh, to Edmonton, so uh, my only hope really was to go to go to Europe and play, and so that's uh, basically why I made that decision. I don't know if it was the right decision uh, looking back, but... Uh, you make decisions as you go, and uh, that's the one I made. Did you know anybody there, or who had played in Italy? Uh, no, just uh, Yuri Curry was in the in the league uh, the year I was there. Um, uh, Larry Trader was the other import with me in Italy, and uh, we had uh, a lot of players. They were called Italo's Italian North Americans. Okay, um, so we had a few of those guys as well, but. Uh, it was, uh, it was. I really enjoyed Italy. It was a nice, uh, nice break, and uh, had a real good season in Italy too. And yeah. uh, I got a chance to see their culture and, and live in a different country and play some hockey. Where was the city in Italy that you played in? It was in the north. It was a city called Brunico. Okay, up, up towards about Milan. Hour, yeah, it was about an hour from uh, Innsbruck, Austria. Oh wow! Okay, so you're close to the border. Awesome. Yeah, I've yep. been through Italy and uh, definitely an amazing country. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm picturing playing hockey there. What it was like? Um, were there were you filling arenas? Like, what 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 was it like playing hockey in Italy in in the early in 1990? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Actually, we had a our rink only had stands on one side, oh, and wow. uh, the end zone the end zone was wide open, so you. If the puck went over the glass, you might hit your car in the parking lot. But um, <laughs> no, it was. They used to serve uh, glue line in in the stands, and yeah. and uh, of course uh, they all smoked, and uh, glue mm-hmm. line was like hot wine. So um, the fans would be at the rink before the players even got there, um, and uh, it was quite an atmosphere. There was all kinds of chatter, and uh, it was it was pretty interesting hockey. Smoking and drinking hot wine. 
Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, so uh, you, you absolutely tore that league up for a year, 84 points in 36 games. Um, at that time, you know, the Olympics are coming up again. Was that kind of your thought? You, uh, you made the move back to North America in 1991 to join Team Canada once again. And uh, in 1992, you headed to your first Olympic Games in Albertville, Albertville France. Let's talk about some of your teammates first uh, in that event. So Joey Juno, the Big E, Eric Lindros, Dave Tippett. Leading scorer, maybe a little bit surprising, was Dave Archibald that year. Tell me about that team uh, and your first experience heading to uh, Albertville. Yeah, that was a real good team. And personally, 92 was probably the best hockey that I believe I have ever played. So um, it was it was a real good uh, Olympics. We, we made it right to the uh, gold medal game against the unified team. And yeah. I think 15 of those players off the unified team went directly to the NHL right after the Olympics. So I think it was only a 3-1 loss to them. And uh, But... Um, we we had like you said we had some good players. We brought in guys like Dave Tippett and Davey Hannon and Kirk Giles, uh, some veteran players that really uh, solidified our team uh, going down to the stretch. But uh, I think Joe Juno led the team led the Olympics in scoring that yeah. that year with 15 points. So mm-hmm. uh, we had we had a real real good team. But uh, on paper we were we were ranked to finish seventh or eighth in the Olympics, and we ended up in the gold medal game. So. There was a lot of a lot of real good chemistry on that team, and uh, and uh, like I said, when you when you're traveling all over the world, you get real close uh, as a team as well. Of course, yeah. So the the guys that were playing on the international squad, like if you played that whole season, um, were you pretty much guaranteed to play on the Olympics, or were there guys coming in late, like um, you know that weren't on the team that that Canada just picked up at the last minute, or things like that coming in? Yeah, I was. Uh, it was. It was real touchy there. Everybody was on pins and needles. It was almost oh. like the World Junior. Right. World Juniors, we get the call uh, when the day day before the final roster was being announced. So everybody was on pins and needles, and I was one of the guys that was on the bubble uh, at that year as well, not knowing if I was going to make the team. But like I said, I think it was. Uh, I don't know if it was November or. Uh, some sometime close to November, and I uh, had a meeting with the coach Dave King, and mm-hmm. and uh, I asked him to give me ten games at center ice, and uh, and I think I led the team in scoring uh, from November up until the the Olympics, uh, the Olympics. So it was it was an opportunity that I needed to to uh, prove myself, and I think I I ended up uh, obviously making the team. Yeah, and who did you play with? Who was your, who were your line mates? Uh, Todd Brost and uh, geez, I don't know. We played we played a lot of games and you moved, you moved around quite a bit. So yeah, I bet. Um, but yeah, yeah um, so I'm not. Uh, I was looking at yeah. the lineup of the rush the the unified team. Sorry, not the Russian team. They were called the unified team for that one season or for that one uh, one year, right? Um, I yeah. saw such names like Zubov and Kobolev. Obviously, you said about 15 of those guys went on to play in the NHL. What do you remember most about playing against uh, a team like that? That gold medal game. Uh, yeah, they're just uh, no weak links. I right. mean, you had to be on your toes, and uh, structure was so important because obviously they were more skilled than us. So uh, we had to play a, a flawless, uh, flawless defensive system and uh, and limit their opportunities. So we're we're right there with them. When I when I was with the national team. Uh, 
when I first joined a national team in 86, 87, uh, we actually played in the Asvestia tournament and, and I played against the KLM line, Krutov, Larionov, and Makarov wow. with, uh, with Fedosov and, and Kasatonov on defense. So um, I joke around my buddies, the only time I touched the puck was in warm-up. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, that was quite the lie, yeah, they were they were amazing. I'm not exaggerating by saying I did touch the puck the whole game. Not I don't surprised. Even I, want, I don't even think I want to face off. <laughs> Some people would think that's just the Joseph humor, but that's a true story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit about the uh, the Olympic experience overall. Were you? I remember the picture in the Cape Breton Post, and I don't know if I remember seeing it, or I don't know if if it was like years later. But the picture, I think it might have been your parents uh, standing on, in the front of the front yard of your house, like wishing you luck going off to the Olympics. I think the, I was only ten years old, but I vaguely remember that. I think you were kind of the first Olympic uh, experience that I remember. I guess you know somebody you know, you know, personally that was going to the Olympics. Not not that I knew you, but you were from my hometown, so I felt like I did. Tell me, those was that true? Did that happen? Was that a picture in the post of your parents or something? Yeah, uh, funny you say that because I just uh, my dad uh, would have been uh, 103 on the 11th, and I made a post on my Facebook page, and, and that was one of the pictures I put on there. Uh, my uh-huh. mom and dad on the front step, the Canadian flag uh, uh, above the steps, and uh, they both had the Team Canada jerseys on, so it was pretty, uh, pretty yeah. special. It's still pretty special to this day. Definitely, what a memory. And uh, were you able to be part of the opening and closing ceremonies? No, uh, well, the opening ceremonies, yes, but the the closing ceremonies uh, for both Olympics, we didn't get to them because we played on the Sunday and and they uh, weren't able to participate in the closing ceremonies. Uh, but we took. To, uh, I would rather do playing the gold medal game than be in the closing ceremonies any course. day. <laughs> of course, to, uh, we hear a lot of stories now about life in the athletes' village. Um, Tell me a little bit about your experience, and and was the village as scandalous as we've heard over the last few Olympics? You know what? It's uh, it was different in Albertville because we uh, every, every all the different sports stayed in their own little village. Okay. Um, so it was it was more like a tournament than a, than uh, an Olympic Games uh, because you didn't. Uh, he didn't associate with the other athletes from the other sports, but Lilyhammer was uh, real special because all the athletes uh, were in the same village and stuff. So it was pretty, pretty cool. Was that to, the first uh, like go- big major Olympic village? Yeah, for me it, it was because yeah. uh, you know you go go to the you go to the cafeteria and you see all these other uh, athletes from different sports. So that was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, any other crazy uh, or thought uh, memories that you want to share from that first Olympic experience? Being being in France, uh, what was it like? Uh, you know what? Uh, one of the funny funny experiences was uh, we uh, there was a stray cat um, in the Olympic Village, and 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 we ended up taking it to our room and took care of it for the week. So we felt we called it. <laughs> We call that our lucky charm for the week. That, that uh, and and one of one of our players, uh, um, Gordy Hines, uh, 
we called him Heinze, so we ended up giving the cat the, the name Heinze. So it was that was pretty cool. Uh, we we thought it gave us a lot of good luck and uh, ended up going to the gold medal game. But that was a lot of fun. You know, we had uh, a big uh, uh, hill hill behind the uh, Olympic Village there, and the boys all grabbed some uh, uh, cardboard one day and just went sliding on the hill and stuff yeah. just to break the monotony of the tournament and stuff. But it was it was nice. It was you know you you walk around downtown and the place is just rocking and. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we were there. We were there earlier in the year, and uh, just for an Olympic dry run, and, and the place was like a ghost town. But then, when you go for the Olympic Games, it was uh, it was hopping people there from all over the world. So it was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, so that's a tough loss. Uh, the '92 Olympics. I mean, like you said, you weren't expected to win gold. You made it all the way to the gold medal and lost a tough, tough one to the unified team. So in '93, you ended up playing 20 games in Switzerland before returning back to Canada. How did that happen? 93 yeah. you went to yeah, switzerland no, I, for a few I, games you're right you're right yeah after the olympic games i went to i went to uh switzerland to, to finish the season and then i went back and played in switzerland the next year yeah so was that just them. to kind of get some games at the end of your season before returning back to canada or was that like a playoff run with that yeah. team yeah yeah we uh we ended up winning uh winning the league that year and uh it was the b league in switzerland and um when you when you win uh, the the B League, you you move up to the A League. Right. Uh, so the next year we moved up to the A League, and uh, the owners forgot to to uh, <laughs> make a, bring in some better players because we had B League <laughs> players playing in the A League, so we didn't win too many games the second year. Yeah, oh, man. But anytime you win a title, that's exciting. I mean, you got a chance to win a title in Switzerland. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was fun because we, uh, like I said, I went there after the Olympics. The Olympics were over in February, and there's still still games left to play. There right. still months to play. So uh, it was a good opportunity for me to to uh, start my European career, I guess. Right. So you came back to Canada after that, and uh, you played with the Milwaukee Admirals for 18 games. Uh, was that before the international season or after? No, I uh, I went back and played in the '94 Olympics in uh, Lillehammer, Norway. Yep. So this the Milwaukee yeah. would have been after the Olympics. Yes, it would have been after the '94 Olympics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so in '94, '93, '94, you went back and played another 63 games with Team Canada uh, before heading to Lillehammer. So let's uh, let's get into your second Olympic experience a little bit. So obviously you went to Norway, and you had the honor of pulling over that jersey with the C on the front of it. First, how, who names captain of Team Canada, and how much pressure did that bring to you at the time? Well, I, I think obviously it's uh, the coach and staff uh, um, make that decision ultimately, but mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a big honor. I've, uh, like I said, I, I was a captain uh, for a lot of my career from minor hockey right through. So, uh, not bragging, but I, I felt yeah. I had uh, some real good leadership skills, uh, yeah. by just being, by just leading by example. So it kind of came naturally to me, but like you say, when you, when you're the captain of the national team at the Olympic games, it's, uh, it's pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. And that team had a lot of great players on it. Um, Paul Correa, Peter Nedved, Todd Lushko, Brian Savage, the great Corey Hirsch, 
I watched the, uh, the, the, the game last night, actually, the Sweden-Canada gold medal game from 1994, and it was really, really good hockey, first of all, and uh, yeah. an awesome team that you guys had. And I, I, can kind of, I remember this game quite well because, like I said, I'm getting a little bit older at this point. I'm 12 years old. I'm watching hockey all the time. The gold medal game is definitely entrenched in my memory along with a lot of other Canadians. It was a seven-round shootout loss to Sweden. Uh, the game winner was, of course, the famous Forsberg move by the great Peter Forsberg. And uh, unfortunately, Paul Correa was denied by an old-school two-pad stack to end the game and break our hearts. Um, the, how, how tough of a loss was that for you, Fabe? Well, that was the toughest loss of my life, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, they still, still, you know, you, the what ifs and all that. But, uh, you know, like Corey Hirsch always said, if if you're going to get beat by a, on a shootout goal, uh, you don't want it to be Joe Doe. It's, yeah. uh, if it's Peter Forsberg Hall of Famer, it's yeah. uh, pretty special. But, but uh, you know, just to, just to get to that level again, we weren't ranked very high in that uh, Olympics as well, but to get to the gold medal game, and I believe we're leading as well yeah, in that game in the second period. Two goals yeah, in the third period, yeah, to take the lead. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to ask, how did you guys choose the shooters for shootout? Did, was it something you guys did in in practices, and or was it on the spot? Uh, well, obviously we we uh, had lots of shootouts and practice and stuff, but uh, uh, the coaches, I'm sure they were well prepared for that because they knew that uh, that situation could could come up. So. Um, Obviously, they went with the guys they felt were, were the right guys uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. And being the captain of that team, you mentioned earlier, you know, you've been a captain most of your life. You got a lot of great leadership skills. What what were your leadership skills? Like you mentioned, uh, you led by example. Was that mostly, or were you more of a vocal guy? What was your what was your style? I think I was uh, a bit of a mix because uh, I, I took a lot of pride uh, in my conditioning and uh, in my work ethic and practice and games and, and how I prepared off the ice as well. So um, I think consistency was probably one of my biggest traits uh, mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, playing the same same way every shift. And uh, I think that, you know, that you gained a lot of respect in the room because of that. And uh um, vocal when I needed to be. I think there was times where I had to step up and and uh, be vocal in the room. But uh, for the most part, I think leading by example and just uh, doing doing things the right way. Right. And do you remember heading into overtime in that gold medal game? Do you remember if you gave a speech to the team, or do you remember being vocal at that point, or anything at all about that moment? I think uh, I think we just had a we had a lot of leaders in that, in that room as well. And, uh, I think everybody just had a lot of confidence that we were going to get it done. There was no negativity or no second guessing that even when we went into the gold medal game or into the Olympic games for that matter, that we knew we had a good team, even though we weren't ranked that high. And, uh, um, and it was no different, uh, going into any, from the, you know, the, the first game to the, to the final game, we, we were well prepared and had, had a ton of confidence in the room and in each other. So, um, we were we were probably more shocked uh, that we didn't end up winning because we believed in ourselves so much. Right. How good were Peter Forsberg and Mats Nasland at that time? Uh, Peter Forsberg had probably the best wrist shot I've ever seen, um, and uh, real good puck skills as well. But uh, 
Mats Naslin was kind of winding things down. Yeah. Um, but uh, a young young Peter Forsberg was a heck of a player. And um, when you look at uh, Mats Naslin and uh, Hawk and Luber on that team as well, and yeah. they didn't want to shoot. They didn't want to shoot in the uh, shootout. Um, but Forsberg was young, naive, and uh, to pull that move up off uh, in that kind of pressure uh, just showed how much confidence uh, he had in himself at a young age. Yeah, he certainly uh, he looked like a he looked like a force at that time, and like you said, he was only nineteen, twenty years old. Um, that that was a really special Olympics because it was the uh, the last time that NHL players were not permitted to play in the Olympic Games. I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Fabian. What are your thoughts on on pros playing in the Olympics? Uh, I kind of I kind of uh, like the idea of uh, the Olympics. Uh, uh, pro players playing uh, in the Olympic Games. If all the teams are are because you you want in any sport you want your best athletes playing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that that I don't agree with is the fact that uh you know i know how how important it was to us i'm not saying it's not as important to the nhl guys at this time but uh when you when you play together and prepare uh for an olympic games for two years or with the same group of guys traveling all over the country and playing in different turn international tournaments i think you really become a a bond as a team Mm -hmm. and um i think that's i think that's the difference i just think it's unfortunate for for guys that uh that don't get to, to go through that because uh, I know how fortunate I was and probably obviously wouldn't have been playing and wouldn't have played in the Olympics if the NHL guys were playing at that time. But, uh, you know, I think I got mixed feelings to be honest, cause it was yeah. such a good experience for me. Um, but you can see why they they want the NHL players in there cause they want the best players in the world and in, uh, in every sport. So, yeah. um, I can see why they do it that way. Yeah, it's a really tough debate, and I think I agree with you. I think it has a lot to do with that. Like you said, um, players, uh, you know, are they going to be? Are you going? Are you going to play an international schedule with your country and then miss out on a chance to play because someone else comes in at the last minute who's a pro? Or, you know, things are different now where they're not playing those international schedules like they used to. Uh, that might have something to do with it, but. It always it's always great to see the best players in the world, of course, play against each other. Um, but there was also something very special about watching, you know, the '92 and '94 Olympics, for example, and guys like yourself who uh, who who put their heart and soul into it, and uh, you know, <laughs> I guess did everything they could to uh, to help improve Canadians' uh, experience and and Team Canada in general. So. A lot of kudos to guys like you who uh, who built that team and uh, who who built international hockey in Canada. Um, after yeah. the ninety after that ninety four season, Fabian, you went back to North America, give it another shot. Uh, like you said, you finished off the season uh, in Milwaukee, in the IHL. You played two full seasons there and then moved on to be assistant coach of the team. So when you went there, you're twenty nine, thirty years old. What was going through your mind as far as your future in hockey at that time? Well, I knew I was uh, I knew I was winding it down, and and that league at the time was a great league, uh, uh, the international league. We had, uh, it was kind of in between the national league and the American league in terms of uh, the types of players and the salaries and things like that. So it was uh, it was a great opportunity for me to to play in that league and see some of the great cities where there's teams in san francisco vegas uh 
Orlando. It was it was a pretty good, uh, really good opportunity to, like I said, to play in that league. And and uh, I had some uh, issues with my neck, and I I was uh, if you could if you don't see my stats in those last couple of years, I didn't have real good stats. I became more of a defensive specialist with penalty killing and mm-hmm. on the checking line, but but um, I had some issues with my neck, and that, that's what ended what ultimately ended my career as a player and and had the opportunity to to start my coaching career at a pretty high level and were you still motivated at that time to play every night in the ihl oh yeah 100 yeah Yeah. it's uh it was uh like i said it was a real good league so yeah if you weren't motivated you wouldn't have lasted very long and what was that grind like the ihl was it a similar travel to uh to like an ahl team or nhl team yeah, it was. It wasn't uh, as extensive as the AHL, and and we flew we flew a lot. There wasn't a lot of bussing, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, it was good that way as well. So it was, right. uh, I really I really enjoyed that league in terms of travel and, and the cities. And you just mentioned uh, your injuries. I wanted to ask. You know, you grew up in the suck it up, shake it off, and get back out there era of hockey. Um, did you deal with any major? We just mentioned a few of the injuries that you dealt with. Um, neck injuries at the end of your career any concussions or any uh, head injuries throughout your career not that i remember (laughs) (laughs) good answer uh yeah if you could if you could count all the times that you saw stars uh, you probably need a calculator yeah no it's uh you got your bell ring quite a bit and you came to the bench and shook it shook it off and went back out there but we had a couple of real funny stories with, uh, I don't know if you, you know, obviously remember Sean Van Allen. Yeah, of course. Um, he was in Edmonton one time and had it and got hit pretty hard. And he got back to the bench and uh, the coach asked the trainer, does he know who he is? And the, and uh, the trainer said to the coach, no, he doesn't know who he is. They said, tell him he's Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I remember yeah. Sean Van Allen and a few of the Oilers. I don't know if you ever came out. Uh, Might have been before you were, uh, before you were on the team, or maybe after. Uh, the guys used to come out to our minor hockey practices. And I, I remember Sean Van Allen and Jason Allison, uh, a few other yeah, guys. Yeah. Ralph Intranuvo. Uh, yeah, that was after. That was after you, right? I would have been a little bit older. Um, I wanted to ask: Did you? I know you. You took a beating uh, throughout your career. A lot of, lot of injuries. Took a lot of hits. Did you ever deal with any uh, mental health problems because of your chosen profession, like with concussions and things like that? Uh, not, not really. Uh, you know, you have uh, you obviously have situations that you have to deal with, but I think overall, I was pretty lucky. Yeah. That's great because, yeah, playing, uh, playing in that era, um, your size and the style of game that you played, um, really tough. So very fortunate, I think, to not have too many head injuries. Um, you retired in 96. How were you feeling at the time? And uh, was that a, how, how difficult was that decision for you? Yeah, it was a real tough decision because I uh, obviously you have that passion for the game, and um, I just knew my body was uh, at a point where I needed to either have a have an operation uh, on my neck and and see what happens, but there was no guarantees. And uh, like I said, it was uh, what 29, 30 years old, and and the opportunity came to stay in the game at a high level at, uh, as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. So I just I just thought it was a great opportunity, and yeah, I did miss uh, the playing and. 
and all that stuff. But uh, again, I was uh, fortunate enough to to continue on and and uh, have a pretty extensive uh, coaching career. Yes, you did. So let's get into that a little bit. You got your feet wet coaching down in in Milwaukee, like you said. Um, did they just offer you that opportunity when you were starting to, um, you know, dealing with your injuries and thinking about not continuing as a player? Did they offer that to you, or was that something you were looking for? No, they they made the offer because, uh, again, not not to brag, but uh, I was a pretty conscientious player and, uh, mm-hmm. and played both sides of the puck and and. Uh, I played a lot of power play in my younger uh, part of my career and penalty killing at the end of my career in defensive roles. So I had a real good understanding of the game, and they probably uh, noticed that. And and uh, seeing that my injuries were at, at a point where I needed to have a major surgery, uh, they decided to give me a give me an opportunity to, to coach instead of uh, playing my last year in my contract. So they ended up giving me a. A coaching opportunity for the last year of my playing contract and then an extension for another year of coaching awesome and so you stayed there for two years and then you got an opportunity to return back to nova scotia um with the mooseheads as an assistant coach um was that was that a move you want you always wanted to get back closer to home or was it just the, the right opportunity at the right time yeah i think it was a combination uh you know like i said i was uh married at the time and a young family and mm-hmm. uh wanted to get back to the maritimes and uh just decided that uh i uh, wanted to, i always uh, wanted to had the goal of finish my career as well at my uh university as well so uh when i went back i finished my uh, commerce degree at saint mary's university and then uh, uh got the opportunity to i actually helped out with saint mary's when i first went back uh just kind of an eye in the sky thing with mm-hmm. trevor steinberg but then yeah. uh then the Halifax Moosehead uh, job came came available, so I, I jumped on that. So it was one season. Obviously, this must be a real steep learning curve for you. Um, you know, thirty years old with no coaching experience, starting starting off in the IHL. Like you said, you get a, a chance to to coach at an elite level. And then all of a sudden, you're back and you're coaching in a queue, real high pressure situations. You know, dealing with young kids who think they have a future in the NHL. All of that was. Would you have preferred to stay with the Mooseheads at that time, and uh, you know, follow them along in their schedule, or was coaching the Dalhousie Tigers something that was, you know, the ease of the university schedule? Was that something that led you to taking to uh, taking that job? Yeah, hundred percent. I uh, I really liked the university uh, opportunity because of the security with the job and uh, the schedule and. Um, and then making the decision, uh, more of a family decision to be home more and spend more time with my with my young kids. So yeah. uh, that was basically that, that was basically that decision uh, to take to, to get that opportunity to coach at Dalhousie. And what was that? Uh, what was that jump like? So you're coaching uh, kids uh, uh, in the queue, and then you go over to university. So you're kind of coaching kids that are a couple of years older. Big jump, big gap, or big difference between uh, coaching in the queue and coaching a uh, university? Uh, well, the kids are a little more mature, a little more uh, focused on uh, on their careers. And um, the queue, uh, basically, you know, the kids all go to school and, and uh, they work very hard on the ice. But they're, like you said before, their main goal is to play uh, professional hockey. Yeah. Um, and then most of the top top uh, teams in the in the queue or any junior team, they they make sure their kids go to school and and have uh, education coordinators and things like that. So it's very important. 
Um, but the focus for the players are obviously to, to get to that next level and play professional hockey. But when you get to the university level, they're, obviously their priorities change a little bit, and mm-hmm. you're only playing 28 games, and uh, school is very important. So uh, you got to balance that act where you, um, you know, sometimes you got to give guys a, a day off practice because they have to study for exams, where stuff like that would never happen in junior. Right. Yeah. <coughs> I've been a big advocate, <clears throat> sorry, of the uh, of the CIS for years, and I've had quite a few guys uh, on the podcast who've played uh, both at Dow and and with the Mooseheads. There's a there's a connection here in Hong Kong with, with uh, Greg Smith. He he takes in interns here from for the CIHL, and we get to uh, we get to have a, a lot of guys who played hockey in the Maritimes. And I absolutely love CIS hockey, and I rave about it all the time on the podcast. Can you back up my comments? Tell me a little bit about your. What are your thoughts on CS hockey as far as the CIS hockey as far as the level? Well, I think it's you know it's it's a very high level. If you look at the top CIS teams, you know they can compete with some of the teams in the American League, the the University of New Brunswick V Reds. They've actually been down and, and beaten some of the uh, top schools in the U.S. and and have done well against American League teams in exhibition games. So. Yeah. Um, I guess when you look at it, it's 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 a lot. Of, obviously, it's all major junior players that that graduate uh, from major junior and go on to play university hockey. Except for the uh, you know the NHL prospects and the guys that go on to play in the NHL or pro hockey. So uh, and they're a couple of years older and a couple of years stronger, more mature. So it's uh, pretty uh, pretty obvious that the, that it's great hockey. Yeah, I I absolutely love the CIS. I just think uh, I think it's some of the best hockey we have in Canada. So seven seasons at Dow. Um, obviously, you enjoyed your time there, but a time came where you decided to make a move uh, move to Moncton and and go back coaching in the queue as an assistant coach with the Wildcats. I've heard some great things about that organization. In fact, recently I heard some stories about. Um, working under the ownership of, of Robert Irving. I hear he just absolutely loves hockey. Uh, he goes as far as coming into the dressing room to talk to the teams and yelling at players over the glass. Any truth to those stories? Yeah, he's an unbelievable owner. He's uh, all positive. Uh, there's nothing real negative. He's uh, obviously very vocal, but uh, that's his passion. Uh, the Wildcats are his passion. So when he uh, when he gets to that rink, he puts his uh, Wildcat hat on and uh, uh, he becomes a fan. And uh, there's nothing he wouldn't do for those players. That's awesome because you don't hear a lot of stories about like that, like owners being so hands on and. Obviously, he's a passionate hockey fan. Uh, what were your uh, thoughts about? First of all, you took an assistant coaching position. What is there? Some is there a difference for you? Like, were you? Would you rather be? Would you rather be the main guy and be the head coach, or was being an assistant coach something that you preferred? You know what? I uh, uh, there's pros and cons to both. Uh, yeah. Obviously, when you're, when you're the head coach, uh, you know you, you make the the final decisions on things. But as an assistant, uh, you're kind of the buffer between the players and the coach, and mm-hmm. uh, you still you still have a lot of responsibility, but uh, not as much pressure. So, uh, like again, the pros and cons to both. But I really enjoyed uh, my time with the Wildcats. That uh, Danny Flynn was the head coach uh, right. my first few years there. And I was uh, the associate coach, and Danny gave me a lot of responsibility and a lot of respect. So, um, you know, it was, uh, again, you're part of a team. And I, I think uh, 
um, to be successful, uh, everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction. So, uh, yeah. especially that team that we won the President's Cup in 2010, it was a pretty special team. Yeah, you got to work under uh, an, an incredible legend uh, of the sport as well, and Danny Flynn. Um, so you had a great time in Moncton. You guys won a won a championship. 2015, you move on from the Wildcats. Uh, you decided to join the Woodstock Slammers, an assistant GM and head coach. Uh, you want to explain that move? Yeah, again, it was, uh, you know, you're going from head coach to assistant coach, and yeah. I was with the Wildcats for, what, uh, seven, eight years there, and uh, decided that I, I wanted to be the, the head guy again, so... Uh, the opportunity came to, to go up to Woodstock. I was I was toying with the idea of uh, trying trying the pro level at that time, but again, it would have meant uh, moving. But I didn't uh, didn't have a ton of opportunity. But uh, with the Woodstock uh, with the Woodstock uh, situation, they were hosting Eastern Canadian Championships that year, and uh, their owner, uh, Mr. Andrew McCain, uh, uh, contacted me and uh, wanted me to. Uh, lead the lead their team as, as the head coach and assistant GM. So I thought it was a real good opportunity for me to get back in, into the head coaching uh, situation. And uh, especially when you're hosting the Eastern Canadian championships. Yeah, that's an exciting opportunity. And you stayed there for two seasons. How did that time come to an end? Uh, you know what? I was just getting, uh, I was getting to a point where I was, uh, I was away from my family. I have a young, had a young daughter at the time. She's 15 now, but at the time she was just young, and and I was up there on my own. So I just uh, got to a point where I felt that I needed to be close to my daughter, and uh, my my older boys were, were old enough and moving on to university and stuff. But um, I uh, I wanted to get back closer to her, and uh, so I decided to get away from the game. And that was probably the toughest decision and the toughest couple of years of my life, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just not not being around the game, it was uh, it was a huge blow to me uh, mentally and and uh, physically. Yeah, totally. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Um, life after hockey for you, um, like you said, tough decision to step away. You made the decision uh, for your family, like a lot of people end up having to do later in your careers. Um, yeah, just talk to me a little bit about life after hockey. You know, it's uh, it's a big decision because you you know that's what you know. Uh, for me, I was you know the game was everything. It, whatever I did in life, uh, the game gave to me. So it was a tough uh, tough decision and and a tough pill to swallow at at the time. But I just felt that, uh, like I said, I want to be closer to my daughter. So uh, all of a sudden, you're uh, thirty. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm aging myself. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm in my 40s and uh, I'm looking for a new career. So it, yeah. was, uh, it was, you know, you're going through the the career beacon sites and and you're looking and you're looking for a job and uh, you know it's uh, it's a little taxing on the on the mind for sure. And uh, I ended up uh, starting with the Royal Bank uh, as a, a banking advisor, and then a government job uh, came available, and, and that's what I decided to do. So now I'm with the federal government and. And I'm enjoying it and getting spend lots of time with my daughter. That's incredible. Fabian, to say that you've put a lot of miles on would be an understatement. So uh, it's really great that you're able to uh, stick close to home and you got the opportunity to go back home and, and finish your career coaching and mentoring, um, doing all the things like 
maybe uh, you know that not maybe maybe it wasn't your ultimate goal to be you know a head coach somewhere when you were a kid, but being able to give back to the community that you grew up in, and like you said, you're such a great leader and an inspirational guy. Like so many people looked up to you, like me. Um, small players, people all over the all over the Maritimes who watched you play. We we got a lot of inspiration from you, and and uh, yeah, it's it's strange to see your uh, your name not on a hockey jersey right now or not uh, on a on a roster. Do you have any plans, any ambitions, any chance we're going to see Fabian Joseph back in a hockey rink? You know, that's a real good question. Uh, I'm not sure. I know my daughter's uh, getting uh, getting up there now. She's starting university in a couple of years, so you never say you never say never. But uh, right now, I'm doing a little bit of development stuff uh, with uh, younger kids, uh, just to getting on the ice once a week, and uh, so I'm really enjoying that. But I think if the right opportunity come up, uh, whether it's in Europe or in North America, that uh, I might look at it. Awesome. That would be incredible. Are your headphones falling apart? Or does your cable do that annoying thing where it only plays sound from one ear? Then maybe it's time for an upgrade. Accessory House Global is your one-stop shop for premium headphone accessories. They specialize in ear pads, headbands, carrying cases, and audio cables. Whether you have Bose, Sony, Sennheiser, Beats, Fostex, Denon, or even a set of high-end focal headphones, they've got you covered. All across the pond, hockey podcast listeners get 20% off their first purchase. Use the code ahg 20 OFF at the checkout and boom, you're sorted. You can check them out on YouTube or at the real AHG on Instagram. Check out their website at accessoryhouseglobal.com and take your first step to reviving your audio experience. Uh, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you some one timers. Basically, I'm going to ask you a question. You just answer it with the first thing that comes to your mind. All right? So Let's do it. First one. Who's your, where's your favorite all-time arena to play in? Ooh, I'd have to say the Spangler Cup in Davos. Oh, Davos. Ah, awesome. Good answer. Best current player in the NHL? I want to say... Uh, Sidney Crosby. Good answer. Best player of all time. Uh, it's hard to argue with uh, with Gretzky. It's, it is very hard. Who is the most skilled player you ever played with? Paul Korea. Which team would win in a one-game showdown? The 92 or 94 Olympic team, Canadian men's Olympic team. 92. Most underrated player you know? My answer is Fabian Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I can't say that, right? <laughs> I stole it from you. I stole it before you could do it. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, most underrated player. Jeez. Somebody you played with that you thought really should have made it. Okay. Jeez, uh, that's a tough one, buddy. Um, 
Uh, well, there's all kinds of guys that uh, just didn't get the right opportunity, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to pass on that one. All right. No, you don't want to throw anybody under the bus either. <laughs> going to have to call a friend. <laughs> yeah, phone a friend. If you were playing in the NHL today, do you think you would have, if you were playing hockey today, do you think you would have had a, a long career in the NHL? I think I would have had a better opportunity for sure. Yeah. Just, uh, just the style of the game and, uh, the clutching and grabbing and, uh, the, like I said, not, not the clutching and grabbing. Um, I just, I think, uh, I think it would have had a, more of an opportunity to play now with, with more game, more teams and, and the style of the game. All right. And if you could go back to any of the places you visited, cause you've been all over the world, um, where would you go mm-hmm. and why? I would say, I would say I would like to go back to probably uh, Japan. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was such a neat place and uh, didn't really get an opportunity to, to see much of it, but it was uh, it was pretty pretty neat. I will tell you from experience, it's definitely one of the best countries in the world. I've been there many times. Um, last question. Would you trade your two Olympic medals and time playing for International Team Canada for an NHL career? Uh, I would say uh, if it was a NHL career, uh, more than, more than 30 games or more than, more than 50 games, maybe, but, uh, to go uh, to play 10 games in the NHL or, or have two Olympic silver medals, I'll take the medals anytime. Awesome. Fabian, I want to thank you. You gave me so much of your time tonight and, uh, I want to, I want to thank you for, uh, for taking the time to talk to me and sharing your stories and, uh, opening up about your experiences. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very much, Chris, and good luck with everything. And uh, again, uh, it's always nice to talk to somebody from back home. I appreciate it very much. Take care, Fabian. Stay safe and stay healthy. Okay, buddy. Take care. All right. Take care, my friend. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Sunset Studio and Print House Limited. And a giant thank you to my producer Andy Zombathy who makes us sound great week in and week out. And of course Mr. Paul McLean who makes everything happen here at the studio. Folks, check out our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at acrossthepondhk.